welcome to the Vagicine Podcast. It's Vanessa here, and you know we're having courageous conversations about love, sex, and everything in between. And today, we're talking about abortion and abortion stories. So before we jump into the show, just a couple of things to remember. Vagicine, you can follow Vagicine on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can DM me on both of those platforms. You can email me at vagisteam at gmail.com. You can email me your questions. You can email me your request to have me come on out to your school or college or community group. I'd love to do those things. Um, You can DM me your questions and you can ask me or send me whatever you want at any time. Um, Remember to follow the podcast wherever you listen to the podcast. Let other people know that you are listening to the podcast. So if you're listening, use hashtag Vagisteam, use hashtag Podden to let people know that you're listening to the podcast. It lets me know you're listening and it helps other people know that you're listening as well. The other thing, another way that you can contribute to this podcast is by leaving a review. Let people know how you feel about this podcast. I see y'all listening. I know y'all tuning in. Let people know that you who are down with this podcast. Let me know your thoughts on the podcast. Rate and subscribe to the podcast. Follow it. Um, and just that way it helps other people know what you think about the podcast and helps other people find the podcast too. So if you're curious and you're like, I don't know how to do any of that, Vanessa, I know you keep telling me week to week. If you have an iPhone, I want you to look at the screen of that iPhone. There's going to be a purple app. And it says podcast. Boom! Helped you out already. You're going to hit it, and then you're going to type in Vag Esteem, and then there's an option for you to write a review or leave a review. Go ahead and do that. Wherever else you listen to the podcast, please make sure that you're writing a review. You can even comment on the episodes on SoundCloud, follow on SoundCloud, and wherever else you listen to it, just find a mechanism for following and rating because all of those things matter in helping spread the podcast. So I would really appreciate if you did that. Some other ways to contribute and to share your Vagisteam love, you can drop some coins on vagisteam.com in the collection plate. That helps run this podcast. It also helps run the website and it also contributes to the live events that I have. And the last thing before we get into the show, I am super duper duper excited. In a couple of weeks, I will be participating in the Pod and Live NYC podcast meetup event. So if you're in New York, if you could get your Greyhound ticket to get to New York, that's where I'm going to be on May 11th. Pod and Live NYC is the largest annual black podcast meetup in the world, y'all. In the world. That's how major I am now. Like, you better... You better get your ticket, okay, in the world. So if you want to be around dope podcasters of color, if you want to be around dope black podcasters, if you are a fan of Tea with Queen and Jay, if you're a fan of Bag Ladies, if you're a fan of... um. Inner Ho Uprising, if you're a fan of mine, if you're a fan of Queer Walk, which are all my other favorite podcasts, come join us. You have to have a ticket to get in. It is on May 11th at Von Bar in New York. It starts at 4 p.m., so do not miss it. It's May 11th, Von Bar, New York, May 11th, Pod and Live NYC, Come and meet me. Come and meet these other podcasters. If you want to start a podcast, if you just love listening to podcasts, if you just want to be around Black as Joy, come and join me and these other awesome podcasters. Again, May 11th, 4 p.m. at Von Bar in New York. Come over. I'll see you there. I'll be there. Like I'm I'm getting I'm getting my Greyhound ready. Like I'm getting I'm getting my bags packed. I'm getting the merch together. So come and join me. Tell a friend, tell a friend who's in New York if you can't make it. And I think that's it for the announcements. I think so. But yes, follow Vagisteam, send me your notes, send me your opinions. I want to hear from you and let's get into it. So it's always interesting when I do a show by myself because I clearly vibe (laughs) 
<laughs> well with other people when I'm interviewing people or when I have Paris on. But today, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I have not done one of these in a while for those who do listen to the podcast. But we do this thing where we have you, folks who support the podcast, folks who listen to the podcast, share your voices. So our, like I said, our topic today is abortion. And for me, it was super duper duper important to have a listener story um, episode on this because I just feel like it's one of those topics we don't talk enough about. And right now, where we are in the state of the world, honestly, we have to talk about it. It doesn't matter where you stand. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, I don't care. It doesn't matter. This issue literally affects all of us. And so um, April 27th was Tell a Story Day. And I decided to have people tell their stories around abortion. And so I think that when it comes to telling stories, we tell them all the time. But when it comes to certain stories or certain narratives, we don't hear them. They don't come to the forefront or we have only one aspect or one-sided view of those stories. And one of those things that I feel happens with abortion is we often have a very political conversation around abortion. We also have this very closed off um, view of what abortion is, how people feel about it. And typically when it's portrayed in media, it's either the person's like chock full of regret or they're just like aimless in life anyway. So of course they had an abortion. And mostly the stories that we see are mostly white. If they happen, if we do have abortion around black women or women of color, it's typically just like you're poor, you're from the ghetto and oh man, you just have like all these kids already and like you're swallowing hard uh, and you don't know what to do and I regret it. And that's not always a narrative. And I feel that in order for us to change abortion stigma, in order for us to really start fighting back against what's happening on the political scene, we really have to get in the habit of sharing our stories. And that's why I started this podcast. I started this podcast not only to educate and make sure that we're having courageous conversations, but also we're when it comes to having courageous com- conversations and something that I tell people who come to Vagisteam events, I'm not the only expert in the room. We are experts on our experiences. And the only way that we continue courageous conversations is by having them, initiating them, inviting people in, listening to those conversations and learning something. And so when I started this podcast, I wanted to make sure that this was our platform so that I'm talking to you and all, but I'm also learning. So that's why I like to do interviews. I'm learning from some of the people that are on my show around different topics. I'm bringing someone in to have a courageous conversation with me on various topics and I'm inviting you in as well to have those conversations. And so when it comes to this topic, I mean, I feel like I have... <laughs> I I I have never personally had an abortion, but I am a very I'm I'm an advocate. I am I feel like I'm very vocal about this because we are day by day at this point in, in our country, we are losing our rights and before we know it we're not going to have the right over our bodies. And if we don't have the right to our bodies, we do not have the right to our destinies. And so it's important. I know there's a lot of political coverage and it's becoming exhausting, but I think for me, when I think about my journey with becoming acquainted with abortion or learning about abortion, it started off in high school. So I've shared a lot how I went to an all-girls Catholic high school and have, you know, I am Catholic. I have gone to Catholic church all my life. And something that came up in high school is that we had to participate in the Right to Life March. It was a very large percentage of our religion grade. And every single year there would be a Right to Life March in January on DC. 
And basically, it was a bunch of people that got together who were trying to get the government to overturn overturn Roe versus Wade, which is the law, the federal law in the country that says that a woman or a person with a vagina has the right to have an abortion in this country. And so these people, you know, this group gets together every single year. And when it comes to our grade or when it came to our grade, you had to participate in some way, shape or form. So you either had to go to the march or you need to participate in the poster or poetry contest. So as a freshman, I, you know, get on the bus and it's funny because you're expected to participate. But I'm not even sure we knew what the hell abortion was. Like, to be super honest, at 13 and 14 years old, you just know, especially in this environment, you just know this is something they said don't do. And (laughs) you're just like, okay, what? People killing babies out here. That's nuts. What? Let me get on that bus. Yo, that's crazy. So you get on the bus, you're with a whole bunch of protesters, and you get to Washington, D.C., and it's just like... Tons of people holding up, you know, signs with like aborted fetuses or something you think is an aborted fetus or, you know, all these like don't stop killing babies rhetoric and signs. And I I think for the first time in my life, I was just like, okay, like this is wild. Like it was just... It was just so much. And even at the time, I don't even think I really understood or was really digesting what was going on or what any of this meant and even how I felt about it. And so I think even at that time, I was kind of like, this is this is really personal, guys. Like, do you think we got to be out here today doing this? This is a lot. And so from that point forward, I never went to the march again. It was something we ha- all had to do. Um, so I just participated in like the poetry contest or the poster contest, you know, so we could get our grade. And and that was about it. And I just think from that point forward, I was like, this is too much. This seems like a very personal decision. It seems like a hard decision that someone would have to make. Like, I don't know why we are making such a um, uh, spectacle of this. And so... I think now that, you know, I'm older, clearly I I have a better understanding. I work in reproductive health. I work in sexual health. I'm a sexual health educator. For me, where we are now is that I'm tired. Like, we should all be tired. We should be tired that there are people, politicians, who are trying to take away our most basic right. Our most basic right of having autonomy over our body. And it's not that they're just like, oh, you can't do that. They're really going about it in very sneaky ways to ensure that women lose their their abortion rights. And so just to just to rattle off a few, just today, um, abortion, um, Alabama lawmakers, they have moved to outlaw abortion um, by making sure that doctors who perform abortions at any stage in pregnancy, um, unless a woman's life is threatened, can be, can be sentenced up to 99 years in prison. (laughs) Yo, like we have nothing better. Seriously, seriously, this is, this is where taxpayer dollars are going. And, Right now, the Alabama law is really serious because this is the most serious, one of the most serious um, laws that we have on our books right now. And it seem, it looks like it's going to pass in both houses of their legislature. So basically what Alabama is trying to do is say, all right, go ahead and try and get your abortion. But now you ha- you are tying doctors and providers' hands. And so it's looking like it's one of the most stringent abortion laws currently that we might have in the country. Um, some other things, some other ways that... Um, that politics is playing a role in our healthcare. Because remember y'all, abortion is healthcare. Abortion is healthcare. We don't make this fuss over people trying to get their breast cancer treatment. We don't make this fuss around, you know, cancer. We don't make this fuss about getting a transplant. We make this fuss over women's healthcare. 
because we know that when women are powerful and when women are making choices for themselves, about their bodies, about their families, that's dangerous. That's political to people. And so they want to restrict that. And so some other things that are happening currently, um, we have... um, bans on the type of procedures, on the type of um, procedures that you can get. So there are two types of abortions that someone can get. There's the pill abortion, which is called the medication abortion, and there's the in-clinic or surgical abortion. And so with the medication abortion, um, depending on the state that you're in, um, you know, the certain states have different restrictions, but the medication abortion works anywhere between about 93 to 98% of the time in the clinic. They're going to give you, um, they're going to give you a, a pill and it's basically going to cause the body to have a miscarriage. And so within 24 to 48 hours, you're going to take a second pill and then you're going to need a follow-up appointment to make sure that, um, your uterus has been emptied with, in the case of, um, the surgical or in-clinic abortion, it works about 99% of the time. Um, the doctor or nurse will use a gentle suction to remove the pregnancy. Um, and the person will recover in clinic And in most cases, there's not really a follow-up appointment needed. And so one clearly is more, the in-clinic one, the surgical one is more, um, is more expensive than the medication abortion. Um, and, um, both are quick. And so with the surgical can take up to 10 minutes, um, and folks may feel bleeding or cramping afterwards with both of them. And so I break it down like that. (laughs) I break it down like that because one of the bands that we have is a ban or upcoming bands is the ban on um, the surgical abortion, which politicians will try and say, they'll say that this is a dismemberment abortion ban. Here's the thing, y'all. Uh, um, guys. People ain't just taking out just like your full grown five year old and just being like, let's abort it, y'all. Um, most abortions happen <laughs> early on in pregnancy, meaning in the first trimester. What we see for people who have hey, that may have later term abortion is it is because we are having an issue with the fetus. We have the, the mother's life in danger, and it is for medical issues. We rarely just see. And we have seen and we know this because of stories and we know this because of statistics that people ain't just out here like, you know what? You know, this full grown ass baby. You know what? I thought about it. I prayed on it and I don't want to have this baby no more. Okay, bye. Like it doesn't happen that way. And so the way that it is being shown in our media, the way that is being talked about is just plain false. And I broke the procedures down in the way that, you know, people can get an abortion. The way that I just did is because we don't know. I feel like part of the issue is that they think that like the doctors out here just like just just doing the the the, the rocks the rocks body slam on the damn baby to get it out the womb. Like it's not a full grown ass baby. (laughs) It is not like they ain't resting. Like come, come here, baby. Like you're going to come out. That's not the way it's happening. And so we don't have enough education around the procedure. We don't have enough education because we don't like to talk about it. Um, but I feel like that's part of what we have to do. We got to let you know exactly what it is. We know when a person gets heart surgery, they got to go under anesthesia. They got to, you know, go in and cut and they got to find the valve and they're going to put a balloon in. And we know when someone gets their tonsils out, they're going to be put to sleep. And then a, a person's going to come in and take a scalpel. We know these things. We don't really have this dialogue when it comes to, well, what exactly is an abortion? And because we don't have this conversation, things like dismemberment, words like dismemberment, words like like our president is using, like executing the baby, it's, 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 it's false and it creates this narrative and it creates shame and it creates 
fear in those who need that procedure or want to get that procedure. It also creates what we see outside of a lot of clinics, the yelling, the screaming, the shaming when people are trying to go in and get their health care because abortion is actually health care. And we also have, as far as the political side goes, we have um, trigger laws that are happening. So you have a few states that um, in case um, at the federal level, level Roe versus Wade is overturned, they would they would outlaw abortion in, in their states. And so those states um, include Louisiana, Mississippi, North Dakota, and South Dakota. Um, we also have the biggest one, which I think is the most, is one of the most, um, I don't know, like the, I don't know how much worse you can get when you have all these like laws that are trying to get on the books, but we have gestational age bans. And so a gestational age ban, which is being implemented in a lot of states right now is basically trying to outlaw abortion between six to 20 weeks. The reason why this is unethical, the reason why this is ridiculous is because a lot of people don't know they're pregnant until they're about eight weeks pregnant. So when you outlaw abortion at six weeks before I even know that there's a baby in there, you're kind of screwed. And so these are the kinds of loopholes. These are the kinds of backroom talks this is the this is the twisted stuff that's happening at a political level and we are talking about we are talking about at the state level because right now Trump is trying to do something called the Title 10 ban um, or known as the gag rule where he's trying to keep people from talking about abortion but at the state level which is why politics is important is important engagement is important donations to your local abortion fund is important because these folks at the state level the people that were like that are your delegates those people are the ones who are putting these things in and the reason why you might be asking yourself well why the hell is all this stuff happening now one we have activists that are very um emboldened by um, the Trump-Pence administration right now. So they're like, damn, those folks are on our side. Like, let's try and get this done. They're trying to get Roe versus Wade overturned, even though it's been the law of the land since 1973. We have, um, we have also why all of the, pol- like, this whole thing is political. Our lives are political. Engagement in the political process is important, or just even paying attention is important because, the reason why everyone was so riled up around Kavanaugh is because Judge Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, basically the way that we can change the abortion, the federal abortion law is through is through the Supreme Court overturning it. So a lot of folks were excited that Kavanaugh, um, who was Trump's pick as a as a judge and another judge, which I can't remember his name. Two have been picked under under Trump and your more liberal, quote, liberal judges are starting to age out. So that's why everybody's always scared with when um, when baby Ruth, Ruth uh, Ginsburg, <laughs> Beta Ginsburg is sick because that is one of the voices, the activist voices that we have on our side to to fight this. And so the more that the liberal, quote, liberal judges are aging out or getting sick, um, the more that we might have, that we have conservative voices at the court that, that may vote and we don't know how they may vote. So you have folks like Kavanaugh who are like, I don't know how I feel about it until it gets in front of me. But there's a lot of speculation that, um, Kavanaugh and some of his other colleagues are vote on the more conservative side. So folks are trying to put all of these state laws in, in hopes that folks sue them so that it actually goes up to the, um, Supreme court so that the Supreme court can actually judge on it right now. A lot of activist organizations are blocking and a lot of cool judges, um, at our state levels are blocking a lot of these laws that are coming out, um, to, and basically trying to overturn them as they're happening. But again, we don't know how much that is going to, um, how much that's going to, to, to hold us. So 
y'all, we got to stay woke. We got to contribute. We got to, you know, hit the streets. We got to pay attention. We got, if there, if you're living in one, especially these Southern states, if you're living in the Alabamas, the Mississippis, the Texas, you got to get out there. You got to make some phone calls because they're really, they're the, they're the tricky ones here, here in Maryland pretty good over here but that's but we still have to stay woke we still got to make sure that we're putting in candidates that stands for our beliefs we got to get candidates in there who are fighting on our behalf and if you're like yo that political shit ain't for me that's cool you got an abortion fund where people where people need money because abortions can get expensive and with all these different regulations they can get they can get super expensive where people cannot afford them and the reason why I'm also talking about this is because despite the fact that all these political things are happening and despite the fact that people are trying to outlaw abortion outlawing abortion does not prevent abortion from happening and we see countries where outlawing abortion actually kills people. And the thing that I like to think of when I think about abortion is no matter how much you want to criminalize it, when a person is deciding what to do about their future, nothing is going to stand in their way. And so it makes me think about a summer that I spent um, at a fellowship in Kenya and Nigeria a few years ago where I had met groups of lawyers and I met with healthcare providers who were talking about women dying in their arms because of home abortions. And one of the highlights of that trip was a group of lawyers in Kenya who were actually just deciding to fight um, for women who were um, who had charges against them because because uh, they performed home abortions, and so what, what one of the stories that came up was how they basically had to defend this woman who lived in a slum, and she um, she was pregnant, decided to perform a self-abortion, um, and started bleeding out. And what happened was because she, and I bring up living in the slum, not because I'm like, Oh, look at the destitute. I'm talking about her proximity to, to getting to a hospital. So because she lived in that slum, she got up, she started bleeding out. She went out to try and seek help. A cop saw her bleeding and they locked her up. And instead of providing compassionate care for that person who could have bled to death, they had her sit in a jail cell all weekend with the remains of the fetus next to her until Monday morning when she could be in front of a judge. And so the thing is, is that women, we don't care what, what, what the risk is when we need to do something that we know is going to make our lives better. We will do whatever it takes to take our destinies into our own hands, even if that is performing a self-abortion, even if that is taking... I've heard stories when I was learning about women, activist women in Ethiopia who are taking palm tree, palm, palm tree um, leaves and tr poking, trying to get into their uterus to make sure that they can perform an abortion. Women who are taking, and your grandmothers used to do it too. Let's not act. It's not, it's not, it's not African women. It's not, you know, uh, other world women that do this. Our grandmothers were out here taking teas. When, you know, your grandmother had the tea for everything. They were, they was taking teas. They were, they were tripping down the hallway, down the stairs on purpose. Like this ain't nothing new. This is nothing new. Abortion is not new, but outlawing it makes it, makes it deadly, makes it dangerous for women. It does not cause it. It does not, it does not keep people from stop. It does not stop people from having abortions. It just keeps it it just makes it dangerous and it makes it go underground. And 
we don't want that to happen again. There was a time in this country where we did not have these options and women were dying. And we're getting to a place where women are dying. So we need to speak up. We got to share our stories. And the thing to know when we're talking about fun facts, um, abortion legal abortion Le- I said legal y'all I, ain't, I, ain't, I didn't say I didn't say the T legal abortion is one of the safest medical procedures in the United States <laughs> fun fact another fun fact is that one in four US women will have an abortion by the age of 45 one in four y'all that's the good girlfriend's trip right there alright like let's stop pretending I don't I'm tired. I don't want to keep having this shamey-ass conversation for no reason when we know that one in four women may have an abortion in their lifetimes by the time they're 45. And we need to stop tiptoeing around not sharing our stories. Sharing our stories is important. It provides perspective. It helps other people. And why the F not? We talk about every other procedure that we have. We talk about all our other health care. Why not talk about this? And so, like I said at the beginning, I'm going to get off the soapbox. I'm done. I, I gave you all a lecture. I gave you all a PowerPoint. And I gave you all a Prezi. Um, like I said, this is a listener episode. So some of y'all sent in your stories and I'm super duper 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 grateful for that. Um, and the thing about abortion stories, you don't feel like we have to like yell them from the rooftops. I had some people say, look, I'm not comfortable recording my story. Um, I just, I, can you read it for me? I had some people say, you know, it was, you know, doing this was like super, um, you know, super emotional for me. I wanted to share my story, but I was too emotional about it. And so the reason why stories and why I say courageous conversations are important is because we can always learn from them. So what I have two recordings um, from some awesome, awesome, awesome listeners. And then I have one that I'm going to read right now, um, from a listener who wanted to share her story. So I'll start off with that. And then I'm going to leave y'all with the other two stories. I hope you learned something. Share your thoughts. Let me know what you think about this episode. Let me know if you have a story you would like to share, or let me know if you're living in the state where you're like, yo, this shit is messed up, is going down over here. Um, And again, get involved, stay woke, donate to your, um, donate to your local abortion fund and share a story if you feel comfortable. Um, There is a dope podcast called the Abortion Diary Podcast, um, which is, which has nothing but abortion stories from to- from a ton of different perspectives, ages, social class, everything. And so use that as a resource too. Um, but this is not one of those topics that we can act that, that, that doesn't exist. All right. So with that, I'm gonna leave you with Island Breeze's story. That is, that is the name of this person. So Island Breeze says, I'm a woman of Caribbean heritage and I've had two abortions. These instances occurred with the same partner. I've had two miscarriages in the same year. Two years later, I had a baby and two abortions in that order. The miscarriages were devastating and occurred while I was finishing up undergrad. They were honestly a blessing and a disguise. I got pregnant the third time and I was cautiously optimistic. There were some complications along the journey, and I ended up delivering a beautiful child. Two years after her birth, I started a new job, and I found out I was pregnant with a child. I was not in a good place in my relationship, and I didn't want to have a child on top of that. Also, childcare is expensive. I talked it, with, I talked it over with my partner, and we agreed to terminate. I had the procedure done by myself because children under a certain age aren't allowed in the waiting room, and my partner didn't want his parents to watch a child without his parents asking questions. My mom knew I was getting the procedure, and she disagreed. She said that she would raise the baby and try to guilt me out of it. 
I talked with my partner and we were like, no. I got the procedure done without any anesthesia because I had to drive home by myself. I felt a little sad, but in the long run, it was the best decision for me. The fifth time I found out I was pregnant, I just started a new job and I was about to start grad school and having another baby did not fit into that plan. I waited several years to go to grad school when my child would not be so demanding of my time and attention. I was not willing to put off school to have a child. I would feel a sense of regret. I know that having to, having to balance two kids, going to work full-time and going to school full-time would be too much for me to handle. I've had, I have a partner, but believe me, kids show a whole, another, whole other side with their moms than with their dads. I don't feel guilty about any of the abortions. I did what was right for me and my situation. My insurance covered my abortion and it was cheaper to have abortions than to have kids that I was not ready and financially stable to have, and I didn't want to have more kids out of wedlock. People feel that having an abortion is morally wrong, and that you are going to go to hell, and they pick and choose what rules of religion they want to follow. They're okay with having sex outside of marriage, but not okay with an abortion, and then there's this whole thing about when life starts and dictating what a person should do with their bodies. Nobody talks about abortion because it is seen as shameful, and you don't want to be judged. I've only had a few people, I only told a few people about the first abortion and the second one, only my partner knows. It's the same with miscarriage. It, is, it doesn't get discussed and you have to deal with it on your own or with a few people. I think, I think uh, religion plays a big role in whether a person will get an abortion as well as what their family thinks. It's important to talk about abortion stories so that it allows people to make the best decisions for them and normalizes it. No one should have to make a long-term decision if they are not ready for it. I see so many women regret having children or wishing that they had their children at a later age. They wish that they could, they could have lived their, the life they envisioned. No one needs to know what goes on with your body and you have the right to make your choices. F dot dot dot. <laughs> I'll say it. Fuck what people, other people think because they are going to talk about you regardless. So just do you. We can end abortion stigma by talking about it as we talk about, as much as we talk about abortion. We need to empower women to make the best decisions for them and not what family, friends, or society believes is the best decision. Island Breeze, I appreciate you sharing that story. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. And thank you so much for just being vulnerable and, and putting it out there. Same to the other folks that shared their stories. Thank you so much for being vulnerable. Thank you for sharing with us. And just thanks for being straight up about your experiences. Before we leave, I do want to bring up one more thing that I got a question on as I was just looking at my DMs. And when people think about the emotions that come with abortion... This has been studied and the biggest emotion that comes with abortion is actually relief when the person is making the decision for themselves. So a lot of pe some people may feel various emotions. They may feel, they may feel, you know, sadness. They may feel, um, they may feel conflicted. Those are all natural but the biggest emotion that has come up in the study that I believe was done in 2000, I think it was 2017, actually. And I think one was done in 2008 as well, was around the emotions around abortion. And the biggest one was relief. When someone is making a decision that they know is best for them, duh, relief will come. So with that, on that note, I leave you with the rest of the stories. Share your thoughts with me. I look forward to hearing from y'all, and I'll see you next week. Bye. Mm, hello, hello. My name is Queen, and I'm one half of the Tea with Queen and Jay podcast, and I am here to share my abortion story. So I've actually had two abortions in my life, and I'm happy I had both of them because I didn't want to have kids, hence why I did why I had the abortion. Um, I probably just going to talk about my first abortion, which was when I was 17 years old. And um, that experience was actually a good one. 
You know what? Actually, nah, scratch that. I'm going to say both experiences, but compare them because my first experience was actually really great. And my second experience was great for me, but the facility I went to was not a great um that wasn't a good experience. So my first abortion is when I was 17, like I said earlier. And I went with actually my friend's older sister took me because it was a secret from my family. Um, not because of like any religious things or um, just for context, I was raised Muslim. Not for anything like that. I just was always very private about my sex life, relationship life when it comes to my parents. And then I also had an older sister who had a child young. So it just just was like, I'll take care of this myself. I don't need you, ma. I don't, I don't need you. So I took care of it myself. And my, like I said, my best friend's mom took me. The facility was actually really nice. But it was sad to see that most of us were there with other women so we our support systems were other women there were not i think i only saw one guy there with his partner um so that was alarming for me because it was just like what the fuck we don't get pregnant by our fucking self where the fuck are these men but you know that's neither here nor there um so my procedure was fine and actually my first abortion was twins and the way that I found that out was because um, the doctor mentioned something about two sacks after they did my sonogram um, but they didn't mention it to me it was like kind of like them thinking out loud to themselves and I overheard them so I was like so that means it's twins and then they replied yes and then I because I wanted to know I asked um, does that mean that this abortion is going to take longer? And when I said that, I think I made them uncomfortable because, one, I was really young. I was 17 years old, and I was just so sure that this is what I wanted to do. Like, I didn't have any, there was no going back and forth with me. I didn't feel any guilt. I didn't feel sad. I didn't feel any of those things that I think generally women are told to feel or actually feel, because I'm sure those feelings are valid for lots of women but for me that's it that wasn't what any of the feelings I was having because I knew I didn't want to have a child I knew I was starting college in the fall I actually had started college so it was just like no I don't want to have a child the person whom I was pregnant by was not someone I would ever want to raise a child with so I had no reservations but I did notice that when I asked if it was going to be quicker that kind of made them uncomfortable and and that, I think, was the only instance where I felt discomfort because it was like I felt that they were judging my reaction. Um, and then when I came outside of the examination room and I told my friend and the other woman whom I made friends with while in the waiting room because I'm just like that, um, when I was like, oh, it's actually twins, everyone kind of changed and was like, really, you should keep it. And I'm like, if I, could, if I don't want to have one child, why would I have two children? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, and even their reaction was kind of like, eh, I don't know. For me, for it, learning that it was twins didn't make it something different. I knew that I didn't want motherhood at that point. So um, I wasn't going to go through with it. Um, the procedure was was fine. Um, the doctors and nurses were, like, really great. I felt really taken care of. Um, I will say that when I went to this abortion clinic... There were people protesting outside, which was, like, um, very antagonizing and shamey. If you are telling women that they should not do something with their bodies, I don't think shame is the way to do it. But they were, like, very shameful. And I remember having an interaction with one of the people who were outside of the abortion clinic. And he was like, don't do this. Um, Something, I can't remember, like I said, I was 17, but something that affected, like, don't do this, be pro-life, God is watching you, some bullshit like that. And I remember asking him, like, do you advocate for people on death row the way you advocate for abort, like, for, for me not to have an abortion? Because those are lives, too. Like, if you care about a life, I need you to care about all the lives. And he shut up. Um, so that kind of affirmed me, like, knowing even though I didn't think anything I was doing was wrong, like I never thought about the moral compass of this because for me, this is right and it was fine, but it made me stand firmer in the decision that I had made for my damn self, you know? So that was my first 
abortion experience. My second abortion experience was when I was 23 years old. And with that one, I feel like my treatment in a facility made me feel like what I was doing was dirty. Even though I knew, like I said, I've had an experience before and I knew that my decision was fine um, and I felt no guilt. I still had the same feelings when I was pregnant this time that I didn't want a child, that there was no moral negotiation in my mind. I already I knew what my decision was. I was I am a very decisive person, so I didn't have any of those issues when it came to getting this abortion, but the facility was a different one because my friend brought me to this other one. Um, and I think the abortion clinic that I went to before when I was 17 didn't ex- exist anymore. Um, but this particular abortion clinic was very like, I felt as though I was in an assembly line of women. And it was, it was, it was so strange. I didn't feel like a person. I feel like the first place I went to, I was treated like a person who just came in for a procedure. You know, this other place, it was more so like, you are the abortion person. You're getting, it, it, was, it was just really, really different. I didn't like it at all. And I, I didn't realize until later in adulthood that, that, I don't know, like, I don't even, even, I don't even know how to explain it, but it was as if systematically they were telling me I was nothing. Even though I, uh, they, they were giving me the procedure and they, uh, made it not made like it was my right to do this the way and the tone of the clinic the tone of the nurses the tone of the receptionist was very much as if I was a piece of shit like seriously from top to bottom so like when I when they tested me for blood when they gave me the sonogram when they was doing all of that stuff it was almost as if I had become a number exactly that's what it is it was as though I was a number and not a person who made a decision whom I had every right to make that decision so like after that experience after the abortion, actually, when I was in the, um, you know, the recovery room that you're in after you get the abortion, even in that space, I felt like they were trying to rush me out so they could get the next person in. And it was, it was just, it was just, it was gross. And I know that's not, it's not, that's a sign of how a lot of, um, a class thing. So, like, when I did it the first time, I had, um... I had insurance and things like that. The second time I did it, I I think I still had my parents' insurance, but I didn't want them to know about... I don't know why, but I... No, not even why. The guy that I was dealing with gave me the money, so I paid out of pocket. And I don't know if it was because of the different ways in which I paid or... Um, if because I think the procedure cost less at the place I went to when I was 23 versus the place I went to when I was 17, my level of care just felt completely different, and it, it's that decision. Although for me it was a very decisive decision, and I'm like okay with it. I've never lost sleep over it ever in my life. That the 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 care like the all of the care that a person should have wherever they are in this world was not there at the second facility that I went to the second time I got an abortion um so if I was a person who was teetering if I went there I probably would have changed my mind um and that's that's disheartening and this makes me think about a lot of the laws that are put in place to make getting an abortion harder and harder and it makes me think was that facility a result of that and why even after that procedure I told myself I would never get an abortion again and it wasn't because it was like um I'm still pro-choice and honestly if I got pregnant right now I probably would have an abortion I, I because I don't want to have children um but I made me go harder to put stuff in place so I never got pregnant again because I just never wanted to have to be treated in that way ever again so like for me my experience with having an abortion 
were always fine as far as how I felt about myself inside. But when it came to the treatment and care, I think that we have to consider how we treat women, people with vaginas, people with wombs, who make the decision to have an abortion and how we handle them with care with this procedure. This is a serious medical procedure and you wouldn't just take out someone's kidney and then, you know, well, I would hope you wouldn't just take out somebody's kidney and then fucking just be like, all right, bitch, good luck, and, like, push them out in the world. You know, like, that's not how we treat people um, when they get other procedures. So why are we treating people this way? Because they have decided to get an abortion. So that's that's my main beef when it comes to the treatment of people with vaginas, people with wounds who decide to have an abortion so I don't know that's my takeaway like we need to really care about how we administer the procedure how we treat people who decide to get the procedure and the aftercare you know of the procedure like just as common we want it to be just as common as every other procedure and we want to make sure that the care the level of care is up there 100 percent for this procedure as well for anyone who decides to do that so that's my that was my lesson and that was my takeaway when it came to my experience with abortion i want to always feel like a person if i decide to get an abortion again i want to feel like a person because that's who i am and not a number so yeah um i'm hoping that this was helpful vanessa and thanks for having me on it's queen peace out my name is samantha i use pronouns she her and i'm from toronto canada i've had two abortions one at 17 and one at 23 i've worked in the field of sexual health and consent education for 10 years including just under two years as a pre-procedure counselor in an abortion clinic. Uh, I was attracted to sexual health as my profession because of my first abortion experience and sexual health experiences in general. They weren't good. They weren't consensual. I was never really given good information to make informed decisions with, and I really felt like I had no choice. Um, not just when it came to the day when I actually had that first, uh, abortion, which was a surgical procedure, but, um, no choice in my birth control whatsoever. Uh, even when I became pregnant, my doctor who was a woman was simply like, okay, well, I booked this appointment for you for an abortion. There wasn't a conversation. There wasn't, this is what's going to happen. This, there wasn't, oh, there's also a medical option. There wasn't like, there was none of, there was none of that information. And, you know, kind of just like went to this abortion clinic and I don't remember much. It was a long time ago, but I remember very distinctly being in this tiny room with this woman who was like in a rush and very dismissive and you had to like take off this little checkbox thing about like I agree to this or like I whatever whatever and one of the questions was like I am sure I want to have this abortion and it was like a yes or a no and I took no because it wasn't that I didn't know that that was the decision that was gonna be what was right for me in the long term it was in that moment I just needed someone to hold space for me to, I don't know, like not necessarily tell me it was okay, but just to talk to me about it. And just so I could say out loud, like I'm 17, this like relationship is problematic and I wouldn't necessarily use the word problematic, but whatever. And, and instead she was like, you ticked no. And I was like, yeah, I like, I feel like, I don't know. And she was like, well, if you don't say yes, then you can't have your abortion today. And that kind of like pressure and attitude is where I feel like we run into so many difficulties in in reproductive health care because it's so intersectional. And again, I wouldn't have used those words back then, but you know, I was 17. I'd like spent my bus fare getting there. I had to skip school to go to my procedure. I couldn't let my parents find out. You know, there are so many factors that go into a person getting to an abortion clinic, even just getting there, 
that this idea of like, well, if you don't take yes at this second, then you can't have your procedure and you have to go home. And, you know, also time's ticking. And I know nothing about the development of, uh, of a pregnancy because no one has taught me about it. And it's like kind of pre-internet and, you know, I had to say yes. And, and the actual procedure itself, that experience itself, you know, at the end of it, I was relieved. It was, I was glad, you know, but because of the negativity associated with the experience, not really feeling like I got to arrive at my choice, that left me with a feeling of not regret, but like, I don't know, maybe like a sense of like unknown or a sense of like uh, discomfort or something along those lines where I never wanted anyone else to feel that way again. You know, I never wanted another young person or another person in general to go through what I went through in that way because there are so many ways for it to be like a compassionate and like enriching experience because, um, it is like a life-saving, life-changing thing. And it gives people a lot of freedom that they don't have. And so, you know, I went into, I went into sexual and reproductive health and fast forward to me working in an abortion clinic where, you know, so a little bit of background is that in Ontario, Canada, uh, abortions are free if you have provincial health care. Uh, and then there's also organizations like Planned Parenthood, which will fund your abortion for you. And so the clinic that I was in primarily dealt with funded abortions. And so it's much like the rest of our healthcare system, which was very utilitarian. You know, each person kind of like moved along like a cog in a wheel throughout the process and had a certain amount of time per um, per portion of the appointment, including this pre- pre-procedure counseling. And, you know, what I observed in other counselors was a lot of this kind of like fatigue, you know, just like robotic responses to what the people accessing abortion were, um, a lot of resistance to using trans-inclusive language, like very much wanting to use the word women. Um, I witnessed a lack of good information being given to people insofar as like the medications and the pain management and like the options, like what the options actually look like being properly laid out so that someone feels like they're empowered to make the decision about their healthcare. And I definitely saw this disproportionately happening with racialized women, especially young racialized women or young racialized people. And it's not to say that everyone in the clinic setting was white. It wasn't like that. It was, it's just part of like the culture in a lot of ways and a lot of the management. And, you know, there was, uh, there was a couple incidences where I was like, you know, I'm not comfortable with what I saw. So I'm going to take it to management. And when management, um, didn't do anything. I took it to the board of directors because it's a nonprofit organization and the board of directors kind of gave me a runaround. And then all of a sudden I wasn't booked for shifts anymore, you know? And so, um, that kind of like pushback and being pushed out is not uncommon. I've seen it happen to a lot of other, uh, women of color and people of color in the, in the sector. Um, and you know, it's a tough thing because, abortion care comes under so much scrutiny and so much, um, sorry, I don't want to take up too much time with this because it's already been like seven and a half minutes, but, um, and please feel free to edit whatever out, but abortion care comes under so much scrutiny from the outside. It's so hard that when you're on the inside and you're like experiencing toxicity or, um, you're witnessing like anything problematic, you don't feel empowered to like talk about it publicly because, at the end of the day, I would rather that abortion clinic be there because it serves people from all over the province. It's not just like people in the city. It's like people come down. It's the only pro-choice environment. So all this to say, like it is pro-choice and it is like, um, it is a very empowering experience for a lot of people, but 
it could be better, you know, and it could do better. And I think the same pitfalls and the same oppression that happens throughout the rest of the healthcare sector and the rest of the system and the rest of the world, you know, trickle in, uh, in a lot of the same ways. And, and as much as like abortion is a right, and as much as it's like a healthcare procedure, it's still like a vulnerable experience for a lot of people because of stigma, there's a lot of alienation. And so, you know, what I would like to see from the sector is, um, embracing some more of that intersectionality that comes into when dealing with something like abortion. You'd asked about, um, you know, what gets misconstrued about abortion and, and folks of color abortion stories. And I think, you know, like I said, all those same kind of like, uh, stereotypes and, and stigmas that exist in broader culture all get factored in, you know, uh, into healthcare and, there isn't like this one size fits all way of counseling someone or educating someone about their options because you need to be culturally aware. Like I come from a Caribbean background. There is a culture of silence, you know, it might be different what I need um, versus somebody who's a, a Muslim person or someone who's a white Catholic person or whatever it is. And so just more sharing of stories can help folks to not feel like they're alone, like they're the only ones in their communities um, making these choices, uh, that they are family experiences. It's not just like isolated to the person who's making the decision ultimately. Um, and I think we can end abortion stigma by by education through... Um, through unpacking some of those old ideas and those old values that don't actually, you know, reflect what people's present day experiences are. And, um, you know, I'll just end by saying thank you so much for talking about this uh, topic. And I hope something I've shared can be helpful to someone.